Thank you for watching NTD Business coming up. Another bank rescued. First Republic Bank gets a $30 billion lifeline from large lenders. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen telling lawmakers the U.S. banking system is stable amid fears of a banking crisis. The banking sector unrest could be hiding a bigger problem actually in the U.S. economy, according to an analyst, has to do with how we approach financial assets. A Microsoft Live event today unveils the implementation of ChatGPT-like features into Office 365 applications. How does a new tool work? The Federal Reserve will soon launch FedNow. It's an instant payment system. Americans will soon be able to send and receive money instantly, but the Fed will be able to see those transactions. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. On Wall Street, stocks rebounded today after large lenders came to the rescue for First Republic Bank with $30 billion. More on that in just a moment. The Dow rose 372 points or 1.2 percent. S&P gained 68 points or 1.8 percent. The Nasdaq added 283 points or 2.5 percent. Now on to First Republic Bank. 11 big banks announced a $30 billion rescue package today to prevent First Republic from becoming the third bank to fail in less than a week. First Republic serves a similar clientele as Silicon Valley Bank, which failed Friday after depositors withdrew about $40 billion. It appears that First Republic, which had deposits totaling about $170 billion, was facing a similar crisis. S&P Global says 68% of First Republic's deposits are uninsured because they're above the $250,000 FDIC limit. Its stock tanked earlier today, but rebounded on the news of the rescue and closed 10% higher. Still, First Republic's problems show how the collapses of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank are straining smaller institutions. Many regional banks have large amounts of uninsured deposits, although perhaps not as much as SVB. U.S. officials are working to reassure Americans and urging calm to avoid other bank runs. This morning, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen went before the Senate Finance Committee. She said Silicon Valley Bank collapsed because it was unable to meet depositor demands for their money. Yellen also said a high level of uninsured deposits at Silicon Valley aggravated the situation. She told lawmakers and Americans there's no reason to panic about the overall health of the banking system. I can reassure the members of the committee that our banking system is sound and that Americans can feel confident that their deposits will be there when they need them. This week's actions demonstrate our resolute commitment to ensure that our financial system remains strong and that depositors' savings remain safe. The comments were Yellen's first to lawmakers since the weekend's emergency measures to backstop depositors. But it seems not everyone agrees with Yellen's comment. Economist Peter Schiff said her comment is as accurate as calling inflation transitory. As economist Daniel Lacaille told us previously, Schiff also blames the Fed's easy money policy in the past, saying that's why banks' assets are losing value now. He's concerned the way the government is supporting the banks is going to fuel inflation. The way they are bailing out all the banks is by printing new money and adding it into the economy and taking on mortgages and government debt onto their already bloated balance sheet. So the Fed's balance sheet is going to go up, the money supply is going to go up, and that means consumer prices are going to go way up. 
The House Financial Services Committee wants to learn more about the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. The chair of the committee, North Carolina Representative Patrick McHenry, says he's planning to call a hearing on the issue. It is my responsibility as chair of the Financial Services Committee to get to the bottom of what happened. Then we can decide on the path forward. McHenry indicated that consequences for SVB's executives should be on the table if they determine mismanagement led to the failure. Now, over in Europe, Credit Suisse has gotten help from the Swiss Central Bank. This was an attempt to calm the worries for its survival. It's borrowing up to $54 billion to shore up its finances and restore investor confidence. The move comes a day after shares in the bank collapsed. Credit Suisse has been battered by a string of scandals in recent years and has gotten huge outflows of capital. It's a major global bank, meaning its collapse would be felt worldwide. It's the first such lender to get an emergency lifeline since the 2008 financial crisis. The move boosted shares early on in Europe, but concerns over the banking sector has far from gone away, with lenders around the world assessing their own financial health. Meanwhile, the European Central Bank is sending a clear message to the global financial sector. It went ahead with its plan to raise interest rates by half a percentage point, despite fears of a new banking crisis that has been roiling markets in recent days. President Christine Lagarde says the banks are stronger given the reforms after 2008. We did reform the framework. We did uh, agree on Basel III. We did increase the capital ratio. We did increase uh, the financial coverage ratio as well. And I think that the banking sector is currently in a much, much stronger position than where it was back in 2008. The move signals the European Central Bank is determined to fight inflation. Their annual inflation rate came in at 8.5% in February. Now investors are watching closely what the Federal Reserve will do in its next meeting, Wednesday. Joining me is Tavi Costa, Portfolio Manager at Crestcat Capital. Uh, now, Tavi, I-, I wanted to talk about uh, Credit Suisse, but first let me get your quick reactions on the developing story of First Republic Bank. Any thoughts there? Well, it's a bank that is related to the San Francisco region, so it's certainly uh, impacted in a, in a way through what's happening with the SVB bank and so forth. But the most important side of the story is that the government has decided to really inject liquidity into those issues of the regional banks. And now we have JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley trying to step in as well. Injection of liquidity should have unintended consequences in the economy somehow. Uh, in a way, injecting liquidity in an economy that perhaps shouldn't be uh, receiving that level of injection of liquidity and how that process will uh, get through the economy is another question that I think investors should be uh, having as a, a higher relevant uh, topic. So on the, on the side of the investors, how does the injection uh, impact them? Well, there's a lot of questions about all this because if we're going to see the cash balance situation continue to be drawn over time, which right now I think that the, the government has about $250 billion in cash. And then, you know, in order to, the government works just like another company where uh, they have revenues from taxes and also they spend capital uh, through their usual social programs. And what you have here is the government has been running a deficit for a long time. It's not no secret. So, uh, in order to raise capital, they have uh, really one way, which is issuing treasuries uh, in order to 
to raise liquidity. And so what you're going to probably see is an issuance of treasuries, which right now we're not allowed to do that with that ceiling problem, which I think will get resolved. But when you issue treasuries, it creates a dynamic of increasing the supply of that instrument itself. And we know that the demand for it is not as strong as used to be in prior years. So it would create, uh, again, a, a dynamic of uh, pressuring interest rates to rise on the long end or the short end. It depends on how they're going to issue those treasuries. The other way around this is the Federal Reserve stepping in, uh, which we know they uh, have uh, really unlimited amounts of, uh, of, of resources when it comes to uh, liquidity, but liquidity create unintended consequences, like I said before, which has to do with uh, an inflationary, secular inflationary environment that we're living in today uh, that doesn't allow the Fed to really take uh, financial conditions back to levels that we saw in prior decades. So financial conditions are likely to be tighter than we've seen in prior decades. And so for investors, what they need to think about is what with the level of interest rates that they have currently will start creating some issues. Some uh, We're going to see some um, uh, more bankruptcies. We're likely to see more delinquencies across consumers. And so all those issues are going to emerge if interest rates and financial conditions stay just as high as they are currently. So the question of will the Fed raise rates by 50 basis points, 25 basis points, will they not raise rates? Will they cut rates by 20, it doesn't matter. At these levels uh, where we are, it's already uh, strict enough that would certainly create issues uh, that are, in my view, very problematic. But, you know, I think that the bank situation is sort of hiding a bigger problem in, in the economy, which has to do with the way we approach markets and the way we approach financial assets uh, because of what we had in the last 10 years. But that's a, a separate discussion, but it has to do with how assets are being valued in a world where we're going to see, again, high growth and low cost of capital, when really I don't think that's going to be the case for the next 10 years. And so financial conditions likely to be tighter, cost of capital probably going to be higher than historical decades uh, and average uh, for those, those prior 10 years. And if that's going to be the case, uh, things that got to be reflected in, in some of those financial assets that today are very expensive. Sure, sure. But thank you anyways today, Tavi Costa. Always a pleasure having you on. Thanks for having me. And the Federal Reserve is taking a big step into everyday financial transactions. Its new payment system called FedNow will be open to the public as soon as July. With FedNow, people and businesses can send and receive payments instantly at any time of the day. Right now, there generally takes one business day to move money in the U.S. FedNow's payment system will reduce the time it takes. Workers and businesses can be paid instantly. The system uses the Fed's own infrastructure to process the payments. This means, yes, the Federal Reserve can monitor all the transactions done through FedNow. So are people going to use it? Mina Tadrus, CEO of hedge fund Tadrus Capital, says he would. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll definitely use it. So we offer investors uh, anywhere between 1.5 to 2.5% on a monthly basis. So uh, the way we do that is through ACA. It takes one business day. Um, and I think some banks actually will delay it one or two days, uh, especially digital banks, challenger banks, new banks, just because they have to work with another party. Uh, so the delay is a little bit more. But in a, in a setup like this, 
it should be pretty pretty straightforward for everybody. Tadros says his investors will appreciate the instant payments. Personally, he is not too worried about the Fed actually being able to see his transactions. Anyone who isn't planning on doing anything bad should be okay. But from a privacy perspective, you know, uh, some people may want that privacy just for the sake of privacy. Uh, but unfortunately, you have to give up a little bit of your right if you, if you want that feature. You don't necessarily need to use a feature. A certified payments professional, Kevin Olson, says he's not too concerned about privacy either. He calls himself the payments professor on YouTube. He spent two decades working with electronic payments. He's not worried about privacy because all digital payments can be seen somewhere anyway. He says there's a lot of benefits to FedNow compared to other payment systems. FedNow is probably the most exciting thing that's happened in the world of electronic payments ever. Consumers will benefit because they can make bill payments up until the very last minute. They can have money even coming in now on weekends and late at night when maybe, say, they're getting paid at the end of a shift for some of the work they've done. So there are really a lot of benefits that FedNow is going to bring to the, the country that we've never seen before with electronic payments. Olson says FedNow could take away the need for a central bank digital currency, or CBDC. CBDC is is the digital form of America's fiat currency. CBDCs are controversial because of concerns over privacy, surveillance, and financial stability. Olson says FedNow already solves every problem a CBDC is trying to solve quick settlement. That is one of the key factors of what a central bank digital currency is able to do. It is able to digitally and and legally have a digital representation. And that's really what it is, is a legal digital representation of your money being moved, of being exchanged and, and moving around. And that settlement, because Fed now can solve for it, works the same way that a Fed or a, sorry, a CBDC would work, but it does it by actually moving things between Fed accounts. Fed officials also have said FedNow could replace a need for a CBDC, but the Fed is still working on a CBDC anyway. It's still in its early stages. Starting April, the Fed will begin testing banks and other financial firms before certifying them for FedNow use. Many of the eager early adopters include financial institutions of all sizes, the largest payment processors, and as well the U.S. Treasury. Moving on, today Microsoft had a live event to unveil their integration of AI into the Microsoft Office ecosystem. It's meant to reduce repetitive tasks for users. NTD's Sean Marshall catches up on the details. On Thursday, Microsoft introduced AI Copilot combining Microsoft 365, graphs, and artificial intelligence for the 90% of Microsoft 365 suite that's normally available only to the most advanced users. You could say we've been using AI on autopilot, and now this next generation of AI, we're moving from autopilot to copilot. Copilot helps out with the 365 workspace of Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook, Teams, and more in ways similar to using highly advanced automation similar to ChatGPT. For example, using a small amount of content, it can draft an email party invitation. It can then input venue details from an older email that you can then easily edit in multiple ways. Another example is making a multimedia slideshow by inputting details about a person and a style like uh, fun and festive. In seconds, Copilot generates a 
beautiful presentation with memories, accomplishments, and advice for the future. Then you can just ask Copilot to add or edit as if you're talking to a human worker. For the first time, we have the access to AI that is as empowering as it is powerful. Of course, with this empowerment comes greater human responsibility. Just as an individual can be aided by AI, AI can be influenced positively or negatively by the person using it. I'll just say there are many more uses than I could describe. Microsoft says Copilot is built for sales, service, marketing, operations, and supply chain roles so users can spend more time on the best parts of their jobs and less time on mundane tasks. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Meanwhile, over in China, Baidu unveiled its much-anticipated AI chatbot, Ernie, today. It was expected to be a major Chinese rival to Microsoft's ChatGPT, but investors weren't impressed with Baidu's use of a pre-recorded demo during the event and the lack of a public launch. It sent its shares sharply lower even while CEO Robin Lee was speaking during the event. During our initial testing internally, we experienced the capabilities of ErnieBot, and I feel that it's not perfect yet. So why are we unveiling it today? Because the market demands it. Baidu said Ernie would only be open for trial to a group of users with invitation codes from Thursday. That's in contrast to ChatGPT, which was made free to use last November. The Chinese firm did show Ernie carrying out math calculations today, also spoke Chinese dialects and generated a video and image with text prompts. Baidu's Hong Kong shares closed over 6% lower after the presentation, cutting $3 billion off its market valuation. And the Biden administration is demanding that TikTok's Chinese owners divest their stakes in the app or face a possible U.S. ban. TikTok confirmed the news last night. Flora Bradley Watson reports. The Biden administration has threatened to ban TikTok if its Chinese owners do not sell their stake. The ultimatum, first reported in the Wall Street Journal, comes amid fears that the app could pass U.S. user data to the Chinese government. TikTok, which is owned by ByteDance, has more than 100 million users in the U.S. A TikTok spokesperson told Reuters that the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States had demanded that the Chinese owners of the app sell their shares. 60% of ByteDance shares are owned by global investors, 20% by employees, and 20% by its founders, according to the journal. Last week, the White House backed a bill that gives it new powers to ban TikTok and other foreign-based technologies if they pose a national security threat. Biden's predecessor, Republican Donald Trump, tried to ban TikTok in 2020, but was blocked by the courts. Another hurdle would be that any U.S. company buying TikTok would also require the approval of the Chinese government, and it's not clear that it would be granted. TikTok rejects the spying allegations and says it has spent more than $1.5 billion on data security efforts. Meanwhile, political reports TikTok has hired a top lobbying firm as it comes under growing scrutiny. The firm is called SKDK and has strong connections in Washington in the Democratic Party. And over in Britain, the country has banned TikTok from all government devices due to security concerns. The UK became the latest to bar the social media app following the US, Canada, Belgium and the European Union. We are also going to ban the use of TikTok on government devices. We will do so with immediate effect. 
Mr Speaker, this is a precautionary move. We know that there is already limited use of TikTok across government, but it is also good cyber hygiene. And as you heard, British Secretary of State Oliver Dowden described the ban as a precautionary move. He added that it does not apply to personal phones or devices. Last month, the U.S. government mandated that TikTok be deleted from all government-issued mobile devices. Congress, the White House, and more than half of U.S. states had already banned the app. Taking a break now, but still to come, the Virgin Orbit rocket company running out of money, pausing operations for a week as it looks for more funding. And a Czech company making fake weapons to fool enemy forces into wasting expensive munitions like bombs and missiles. More on that after this short break. Welcome back. The Virgin Orbit rocket company stopped all operations for at least next week as it tries to find more money. The company, founded by British billionaire Richard Branson, delivered the news to workers during a meeting with its CEO Dan Hart Wednesday afternoon. According to one source, a vast majority of workers, except essential employees like security guards, will not be paid or come into work. Virgin Orbit was founded in 2017, the spin-off of its sister company, Virgin Galactic, which uses supersonic planes to send high-paying tourists on joyrides to the edge of space. Virgin Orbit, on the other hand, is developing an air-launched rocket for hauling small satellites to orbit. The company's launcher, One Rocket, reached orbit for the first time in January 2021 after only one failed attempt, and earlier than most of its competitors. It then completed three more successful missions out of California. The war in Ukraine has created a surge in demand for weapons. The conflict has also created a market for inflatable fake armaments that can be deployed as decoys. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Czech company Inflatech produces more than 30 different inflatable military decoys. They range from tanks and armored vehicles to aircraft and howitzers. They also offer decoy versions of the U.S.-made HIMARS rocket systems. This thing is, is a sudden boom because before this, it was only a very small market where people didn't even know about uh, that we exist, that we are doing such a decoy. Inflatech's chief executive won't say if his decoys are used by Ukrainian forces, but he did say that his business was up by more than 30% last year. He expects growth to keep rising by double digits for at least another three years. Based on what we are aware, we are globally the top producer. When anyone in the world is using these decoys that are truly effective, then we strongly believe they come from us, because you cannot find any more effective ones. Inflatech currently produces up to 50 decoys a month. They're sold to a number of unspecified countries. All exports have to be approved by the government. Uh, but now with the awareness and how we've been uh, spending a little bit more of our budgets with uh, marketing and sales, and that's where I come in, there is more inquiries, there is more people who wanted to know. There's a lot of them who don't even know that there is such a thing available. It takes a team of four, ten minutes to unwrap and inflate a fake piece of military hardware. The decoys can contribute to victory by fooling enemy forces. The trick is to make the enemy use an expensive missile to destroy what they think is a valuable target. But Fresser said he would prefer to make toys for kids. 
Even though I wish and prefer to be making toys for children, first we have to secure a safe world for children, and then I hope we can go back to producing civilian products. The decoys that originally were developed for training purposes can cost up to $100,000 each. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's all today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. Thanks for watching and be sure to join us tomorrow.